I'm meteorologist Joe Martich. During the month of November, the press of Atlantic City is exploring the topic of climate change as part of our ongoing Reinventing AC series. With an increase in coastal flooding and rising temperatures, Atlantic City has become a hotspot for understanding climate change in the Garden State. Joining with me today is Jim Everwine. Jim is a retired National Weather Service meteorologist and is currently the Emergency Management Coordinator for Absecon. As an NWS meteorologist, Jim paid special attention to the shore, working as the Hurricane Program Manager and Marine Hazards Manager. He is also a teacher at Atlantic Cape Community College and a go-to historian for South Jersey weather. Jim, it is a pleasure to have you on today. Same here, Joe. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. First question I have for you is, what has been your involvement through the National Weather Service with Atlantic City? Well, I, I grew up in Philadelphia, but Atlantic City is kind of my, my second nice home. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason is I came down here in 1977 to work at the uh, Tech Center. Uh, our office for National Weather Service was there. And uh, I was thrown into the position of hurricane planning and things like that. So I worked very closely with the people in Atlantic City, all the emergency management coordinators, and I continue to do that today. When you've seen Atlantic City over time, how do you feel that uh, the government, I'm not just talking about Atlantic City specifically, but on a national and state level, has responded to rising waters in the city? Kind of slow at this point. Uh, Back in 1972, I started to see the trends. The trends were always there from 1900 to the present. And you could see sea level rising uh, each year, uh, but the response as to what to do about it has been very, very slow. Uh, to give you an example, we had Sandy seven years ago, and we still have people who have not gotten back in their homes from Sandy, but this long-term flooding that we're seeing at the shore has been increasing this year. Everybody knows about it, and there's been, there's been studies done about it infinitum, as, as you know. But it, it seems to be a very slow process. We've got the Back Bay Flooding Project with the Corps of Engineers that, that they're studying now. And then we have the Black Horse Pike leading into Atlantic City. Uh, so I would, I would have thought maybe things would have been a little bit, little bit faster as far as trying to prevent the flooding in some of the homes that you see today. As a, let's say you're a resident who is in Atlantic City and in a, in a location that does flood regularly, what would those residents expect to see from first Route 40 being raised and then also with this back bay study, given that it comes to fruition and then completion? Well, since most of our flooding is back bay, they're trying to address that with putting up bulkheads and seawalls and things like that. But that project's not going to get underway for another 10 years before they break ground. Uh, it's very frustrating if you live in Atlantic City, or, or I, I live in Absecon, which is right across the causeway, and right down the street from me is a tide gauge, and that has the highest departures when we have these tidal problems. So it's not only in the city itself, it's also those adjacent to the back bay. Uh, uh, it's very, it's very um, disappointing, and I, I would be really, really depressed if I lived there, and each time we had a full moon or a new moon, you would see the tide coming in and there's nothing you can do about it. And, and like I said, not many people are addressing that problem with the nuisance flooding. Everybody's going after what's gonna happen in a hurricane, what's gonna happen in a mature nor'easter. But there's a lot of people, uh, back in 1980, we had about 2,500 residents that would suffer flooding from minor events. Now it's up to, uh, I think, 5,500. And then as we get to 2050, as they say, sea level continues to rise, the number of residences that will flood will be anywhere from 11,000 uh, to 17,000. So you can see the trend is upward, but the response to that as far as people trying to mitigate that and, and solve that solution, in my opinion, has been very slow. 
When we talk about coastal flooding, uh, according to the EPA and NOAA, we've seen eight times more coastal flooding events in Atlantic City. And, and to your point, you said it's really the nuisance flooding that's that that's an issue with this. And besides the coastal flooding, what else do you feel from a let's say from an emergency management perspective, something that, that you've dealt with is is important to know in the city as we go forward in time? Well, the biggest concern has always been a Category Three hurricane. And we saw a couple of storms over the last 15, 20 years where people had to evacuate. Uh, the idea is uh, to get people out of harm's way. And we saw in Sandy, people were evacuating from Atlantic City. Uh, that's a very tough call. A lot of people won't go, but our biggest concern is the more intense events, uh, like, like Category 3. We haven't had one. We haven't had a Category 2. We had a Category 1 with Sandy. And look at all the problems it caused and uh, all the headaches and you know, relocating people to Trenton from Atlantic City. Uh, that's a major undertaking. Uh, so that's why emergency management communities in the county with Vince Jones and then you have Scott Evans in Atlantic City, we work with them very closely because that's a primary concern, getting people out of harm's way initially and then, and then dealing with the rest of the issues with flooding. Mm -hmm. Going into the socioeconomic status of Atlantic City, how does that influence decision makers when it comes to evacuating? Because it does look like we will have to evacuate more often right. uh, given rising waters. Well, some people don't have the money to evacuate. Some people won't evacuate. Uh, you can't force them to evacuate. Uh, but when we ask people to evacuate, not just me, but, but in Atlantic City, you're not, you're not telling them that their home is going to be destroyed. What you're saying is they're going to be shut off from everybody with the floodwaters. And if you stay in, in a residence when you have uh, an evacuation order, you stay there. If you were to get sick or if you had a kid that had a problem, you pick up the phone and ask for emergency management assistance. You may not get it right away because the people can't get to you. So when we ask people to evacuate, and that's our major, major concern, uh, is to get them away from a, an impending threat, whether it be a nor'easter or whether it be a hurricane. Uh, that's our major concern in working with emergency management. Mm -hmm. One of the things we were talking about uh, off camera, and it was one of the things you suggested, was to use some money that we have in research and actually putting that towards actually uh, physical improvements to the landscape. Absolutely. Could you I, elaborate on that? We, if you look at the, the, the amount of money we spend on climate research, not saying that research should be stopped altogether, but you look at a billion dollars a day, I mean a, a year in some cases, $14 billion, uh, if you took that money over a two-year period, you could help a lot of people, not only in Atlantic City, but up and down the Jersey Shore. Or they always talk about Miami. They always talk about other cities that are going to flood first from climate change. But if you took that money over a two-year period or three-year period and suspended some of that research and put that money to good use, given, given the, uh, the people a chance to either build higher or move away from the shore or in the back bay, move away from where it floods all the time, uh, that would that would be ideal. That would be ideal. That's my solution because then we can go back to look at what they're projecting in 2050, what they're projecting in 2100. We got plenty of time, but those people who are flooding right now don't have the time. And and the same thing if you look at the, like the Missouri and the Mississippi, those people flood all the time. So you have to address those issues first. There are people who cannot economically afford to relocate. They just don't have the money. And unfortunately, these people are probably the ones who are looked at the least when you have a flooding event. And uh, that's unfortunate. But uh, I would like to see that money put to doing something, say, today, 
go out there today and break ground on the Black Horse Pike, but we're raising, not we're raising, the DOT is raising the Black Horse Pike over to the high school and the stadium by about two and a half feet. It's not going to totally prevent flooding, but it'll do away with some of the nuisance flooding, which is cutting off those roads and, and having an economic uh, impact. People go, going to and from the barrier islands uh, for school or, or business, uh, they're late because of the flooding and things like that. But uh, I've been looking at this issue and you know, when I worked for the Weather Service, put out warnings, coastal flood warnings. I'd visit the areas that flooded. And it, it's really depressing when you see these after flood events and talk to these people. Jim, great. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. And for more on our Reinventing Atlantic City series, you can check out our website at reinventingac.com.